Hello and welcome in. We really appreciate you joining us for this Tuesday edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. It's February 20th and we're in the midst of an exciting offseason for the Sun Belt. Our last episode, we talked about the turnover and the expectations for some of the league's top teams. But in today's episode, episode 68, we're going to focus on answering some of your questions about the league. We received a great response to our most recent request for your questions and are definitely excited to answer them on this episode. Caden, we did one of these earlier in the year and I'm excited to do another one. I definitely am too. It's one of the opportunities we get to actually interact with our listeners. And I think it's a a great opportunity to do it again. I had so much fun doing it last time. And I have to give a shout out to our listeners. They have very insightful questions, very detailed questions that I cannot wait to get into. Yeah, Kane, I got to admit, I'm starting to think that this is going to become more regular, not necessarily a straight mailbag episode, but I think maybe we could toss in a question or two at the end of these episodes. What do you think about that idea? I definitely agree. The more we can hear from our listeners, the better. And I just love the avenue that we've now created to be able to talk to them and have their questions answered and have that back and forth. That's not really not commonly seen in the podcast space, especially in this space. So definitely excited to get after and definitely open to having more of this in the future on other episodes. Well, we told you that we received some great questions for the in this episode. We'll get to those in a minute. But really, Kane, when we looked at the questions that we received, they kind of had two overarching themes. There was a lot of questions about the future of the Sunbelt Conference. And then we also received a lot of questions about some of the league's teams and how they would fare maybe in 2023, asking us to maybe put our prediction hats on a little bit. And particularly, there was a lot of interest in that West division. Some teams that maybe exceeded expectations this year, but in years prior, uh, you know, they, they, you know, underwhelmed a little bit. Um, we do want to thank you again for taking time to submit your questions. And like we said earlier, we're going to be answering more of your questions on future episodes throughout the off season. So make sure uh, to send your questions to our new email for and Smith at gmail.com to have it featured on a later episode. With that said, let's jump right into today's questions in Caden, uh, a hard hitter right off the bat. And we were asked, you know, with the way the Sunbelt has grown and interest in the league has skyrocketed over the past decade. Uh, what are your general thoughts? I'll have you go first and maybe predictions for what you think the next decade of Sunbelt football could look like. No, being a part of this conference and kind of seeing it grow from someone who was recruited and remember the early days of it to seeing where it is now is really remarkable. And I think with the new teams added to the conference and the entire direction that college football is going in, I think there's nothing but hopefulness to feel about the direction of this conference in the next decade. I think you look at the talent from this league top to bottom, you look at the recruiting spaces that are occupied. I think this conference is only going to go up. And I think especially, and I know we'll talk about this probably a little bit more later when you look at the 12 team playoff that's upon us and some of the movement and realignment that's happening in other conferences. I think there's going to be room for this conference to solidify itself. It's one of the best or best group of five conference going forward. And with that, I think if we have in the next couple of years, a handful of teams that maybe have undefeated seasons, knock off some power five teams. I think this platform that the Sunbelt has now created will continue to grow and continue to create. And I think we will see in the future, maybe some of those teams, maybe in the next decade, two, three teams that are able to really push the envelope, get themselves ranked and really get themselves on that national stage. So I think overall, the conference is in a great spot. And I think in the next decade, we might see a couple teams maybe even get to stand out and get themselves in the national spotlight even more. Yeah, Kate, and I'd have to agree with you. I think the words that I would use is cautiously optimistic for what the future of the Sun Belt looks like. Uh, I really do believe in the model that Commissioner Keith Gill instituted, you know, looking for teams inside the Sunbelt footprint. We've seen some of these larger conferences, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC, who've gone outside of their footprint that have, you know, really gone away from those 
regional rivalries that, you know, we all grew up watching and made college football great. So I'm interested to see, you know, in the next 10 years, that next decade, uh, how that strategy pays off. I'm also going to sit here and say, too, that I don't even know what college football is going to look like in the next decade. It is changing so rapidly. We've gone through our second, you know, realignment here in the last two years. And who's to say that once the everything gets settled down in 2024 with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, that suddenly another round ensues. So I don't really think we know what college football is looking like. We know that the 12-team college football playoff is coming. And if the Sun Belt can find a way to become that top uh, you know, group of five team year in and year out, then I think my excitement for the league continues to grow even more. Uh, but there's just so many question marks right now uh, in college football. It's a great time to be a college football fan, so don't think that I'm tempering those expectations because I'm really excited about where college football is going. Uh, but there's so much change taking place right now, Caden. It's tough to even you know speculate what it might look like a decade from now. Now, that's a great point. Like the next decade of college football, not just in the Sun Belt, but in general, is going to see the most change I think it's seen in a while. We're seeing the revenue go up. We're seeing conference realignment. We're seeing 12-team playoffs. We're seeing so many different changes. NIL, the transfer portal. There's so many different changes happening at once in college football. So it's kind of hard to put a pulse on where the Sun Belt will be in the future. But I do think the regional rivalries that they're leaning into now is going to appeal to kind of some of the college football purists. I know me personally, I like my football regional. I don't really love that USC is going to travel across the country in the future to play in the Big Ten. I like the regional aspect of it. And I think the Sun Belt's going to be able to lean in that going forward. And that's going to be kind of a solid foundation that we can rely on as people who care about this conference going forward, despite all of the maddening changes that seem to, be, seem to be on the verge of happening in the college football landscape. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there's just so many changes going on right now, and it will be interesting to see how those uh, affect the Sun Belt. The next question we got was, do you see the Sun Belt becoming that next Power Six conference like maybe the Big East has become in basketball or even the American Conference at times uh, in football? Uh, Caden, you know, right now, I, again, I, I'm cautious. There's optimism. I think that the Sun Belt has a chance in the next couple of years uh, to solidify themselves as maybe that top group of five conference. I think there was a lot of talk around the league this year that this was the top G5 conference. And, you know, I'm going to say I don't think it was. I think there was some really good football played this year in the Sun Belt. But uh, when you see a team like Tulane out of the American have the year that they did, Cincinnati in the college football playoff a year ago, you know, um, the American Conference, they can have that claim for, you know, that that power six conference, that top G5 conference. Uh, but that's changing. We're seeing a bunch of those teams, the Cincinnati's, the Houston's that are leaving for the Big 12 uh, this this coming year. And, you know, there is a very clear opening here that if the Sun Belt can thread the needle, uh, they do have the premier maybe next conference up. And with some of those teams leaving the American that has been that premier group of five conference, I do think that there is a path forward to becoming, you know, that top group of five conference. I think it was a little early to say that this year, but I think that there is a clear path in years ahead uh, to create some more excitement around this league and really become that group of five league that everyone talks about. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing with this question is kind of differentiating the Power Six kind of model that they're talking about that's more relevant in college basketball versus the Power Five with college football. If you look at college basketball, the Power Six is kind of created because the Big East became such a powerhouse. And even if you look at the Big East, now I have to cover a lot more college basketball because of my job with On3, but there's five teams that are ranked in the top 25 out of the Big East. I mean, that's a competitive conference. There's teams in there with 12-plus wins 
every year, year in and year out, and they have a tournament style of playoff where they can prove themselves against top competition and kind of maintain that level. But in college football, there's always going to be that differentiation between the power five and the group of five. And I think now looking forward with some of the realignment that's happening, it might be looking more like a power two, power three, and then kind of the rest of the conferences. So I do agree with you in the sense that the Sun Belt is now kind of setting themselves up to be that next conference outside of the five, outside of the three that have been created. And I do think that's the best you can do these days with football. You talked about the success that places like Tulane had this year. There's always going to be room for that group of five school that comes out of a conference undefeated, has an impressive resume, and will be knocking on the door as far as Power 5 goes and hopefully the playoffs in the future. And I do think the Sun Belt in that sense is kind of pushing that limit as far as being that next premier conference that if we look next year, a couple of years from now, and we see, oh, there's an undefeated team in the Sun Belt, they'll earn and garner that respect if they're given the opportunity to play some of the top competition at the end of the year. Yeah, and here's the last thing that I'll say on that. In order for the the Sun Belt to truly be considered maybe that power six conference. They need App State to return to the top of the mountain. They need Louisiana to be good again. Uh, They need James Madison to prove that this year wasn't a fluke, which I would expect them to do. Uh, But they need those teams to continue to elevate in order for them to maybe make that next leap forward. Caden, this next question, and it kind of, you know, goes right into everything that we're talking about. And a listener asked, you know, do you think the Sun Belt caught up any in realignment with conferences like the Pac-12 and the Big 12 that are, you know, on the verge of change? And Caden, I'll let you go first, but, you know, I'm going to I'm just going to quickly answer this. In my opinion, the answer is no. Yeah, I think when you look at realignment, the good thing about the Sun Belt is I think they did get into the game nice and early. Them adding the teams this year, I think, is going to give them a huge plus going forward and takes a lot more pressure off of them as far as adding more teams in the future, even losing teams maybe to another conference in the future versus you look at a conference like the Pac-12, they're getting decimated using losing USC and UCLA and kind of making their conference more of a toss-up right now between schools like Oregon and Utah. And then after that, it's about it. So I think the depth of the Sun Belt top to bottom kind of puts them ahead of the game as far as realignment goes. And I think when you look conference to conference to conference now in the next couple of years and you see some of those movements, there's, there's going to be the haves and there's going to be the have nots. And I do think the Sun Belt making their moves early and getting some talent newly acquired to the conference is putting them more in that have group versus some of the have nots. When you look at the Big 12, who's now having to add a group of five teams, the Pac-12, who's losing some of their top dogs. Yeah, here's where I disagree with you a little bit. I mean, ultimately in college football, you know, you can look at the teams, but what you have to look at is the money. And the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are currently in the midst of, you know, renegotiating their media rights deals. We're going to talk about the Sunbelt's media rights deal in a moment. But the numbers, when they come out, are going to be dramatically different than the Sunbelt's numbers. And that matters. You know, that matters in terms of facilities. And even when you look at teams like the Pac-12 and the Big 12, I know that we could talk about Marshall going in and beating Notre Dame and App State beating Texas A&M. But The Pac-12 and the Big 12 still have brand names. They have the Oregons and others in the Pac-12. You look at the Big 12, and you're still going to have some brand name teams. Even TCU, who was in the college football playoff this year, the Baylors, the Kansases. And and again, all of this could change in the future. Uh, But the Sun Belt does not have those brand names. And so to me, yes, did they make some great moves in realignment? Absolutely. But there is such a clear divide between the Power Five and the Group of Five, and I think that the divide is growing even larger. Uh, that no, I don't really think they caught up much with some of those, you know, lower tier Power Five conferences. 
Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying. I'm not saying they're necessarily caught up as far as being able to compete at a money scale, at a scale of brand recognition and what these schoolers are going to be able to rake in at those conferences. I was saying more in the sense of I kind of like where the state of the symbol is in comparison to these other conferences, just based on the trajectory of where this conference realignment going. I think the Big 12 are the the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are kind of scrambling right now to find who they can maybe add to the conference, what moves they should make next. Should they just strip it down? Teams are going to be fighting for Oregon. The Big 12 is going to want to add them. I've already read articles about that in the future, but I think the Sunbelt's kind of in a better place as far as realignment, adding teams in the future of their conference versus some of these teams who they do have more money. They have obviously Big 12 basketball is huge. There's other things that these conferences are going to be able to lean into. But I think from a football standpoint, if you look at the state of the Sunbelt, it's really hard to argue across all conferences money aside, brand names aside, that they're kind of just in a better place set up for the future of what college football is going to look like. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I think I think that's uh, that point is spot on. Okay, now I'm going to combine these next two questions that we got. One was kind of just, you know, do you see the Sun Belt signing a more lucrative uh, media rights deal with ESPN in years to come? And then ultimately, uh, you know, what are would be some top priorities if you were commissioner of the Sun Belt over the next four years? And Kane, I'll go ahead and answer this first. I there, you know, there is going to be a a, a more lucrative media rights deal that's going to get signed in the future, but that's simply because, as we see with everything, yeah, I, I, I went into Walmart today and the bread that I bought was more expensive. Money goes up, right. and so yes, you're going to see an increased media rights deal uh, in the future. The one thing that I have seen reported on is that the Sun Belt will have the ability to renegotiate their media rights deal ahead of the American Conference. Uh, in a couple of years. And I think that plays a big role because if the Sunbelt can do some of the things that we've just spent the last 12 minutes talking about on this podcast of, you know, getting better football, that does give them some more power inside of that negotiating room. And what you might see happen is some of the money that has been earmarked for the American in years past might end up at the Sunbelt. And so that thing could fluctuate a little bit. So I think that that is a big portion. Do I see them going out and signing this massive media rights deal with ESPN? No, I don't. Uh, the, the football is not at the Power 5 level. There's less of an inventory because teams like the SEC are getting more games on the weekends. Um, and so I think that's going to be interesting. Kate, and I think to that point, if there was one change and fix that I would like to see the Sun Belt take, and I know you're going to kind of echo this in a moment, but I think it, it you have to focus on scheduling. And we won't get into the debate on this episode about divisions and you know, the, the current structure of the Sun Belt because I know you and I have differing opinions and that might take a little bit of time to weed out, but I would like to see better matchups at certain times of the year. This year, we saw some bad matchups at the end of the year. We saw an Arkansas State versus Troy on the final day of the regular season. How much more fun would it have been to see Troy versus South Alabama, Sun Belt West on the line, trip to the championship game on the line, so I would like to see more of that in years to come where the Sun Belt is a little bit more strategic about where some of these matchups lie. Historically, they've tried to get those on midweek games because of getting them onto ESPN. Uh, but I think it's important to create some matchups at the end of the year that fans are going to get excited about and that we can continue to create hype around the league. Yeah, a lot of great points there, No, And I think from a media rights standpoint, you're right. If you look at just the price of everything right now, it's going up. I'm not going to speak on the stock market or inflation, but the price of things are just going up. And I think in the college football space, you look at these coach buyouts are going up. The NIL money is going up. The media rights stuff is going to go up. So I would guess that this Sunbelt media rights deal is going to go up when that time comes, but I don't think it's going to be something drastic or surprising. I do think the Sunbelt might have an opportunity, though, going forward, looking at how kind of all the college football talents rising to the top 
you look at these weekday games now, I think the Sunbelt might have a little niche market there where they might become the premier group of five or just games in general to watch during the week on some of those Tuesdays and Wednesdays, maybe when sports gambling becomes legal nationwide, maybe that gets more of an appeal going as far as those Sunbelt weekday games. So I do think there is a little bit of a niche there that Sunbelt might be able to leverage as far as their media rights going forward. But I think that deal will go up, but like you said, not massively. And then speaking to what I would change about the conference, I think the fact that you and me kind of have similar answers as far as what we would change about the conference. They're really nitpicks. And I think that's really a, a, a true representation of how great hands this conference is in and how good the state of the conference is right now going forward. But I do think scheduling could be the only other thing outside of when I played for the conference, when I'm now covering the conference. I think it's phenomenal. I have no complaints on either end, but I think the scheduling could maybe juice itself up a little bit more. I think maybe if you create a format to where the best teams in the conference from the year before push those games down the schedule, make them play each other, and then have some of the teams that didn't do as well in the conference get those games out of the way in the beginning. And I think even as a player, if you're a team that maybe wasn't as good last year and you're heading into the conference schedule and you have to play one of the top dogs, well, this team that's supposed to be a top dog doesn't really know what kind of team they're going to be yet. They're still early in the schedule. So I think that might even add some potential for some upsets that we might not see normally in the conference. And then towards the end of the schedule, get some of those juicy matchups like you were mentioning against some of the top conferences, top dogs. But I think, again, that's, that's a nitpick. And I think the conference is in a great state. And I think not really many changes are going to be made room for as far as what the Sunbelt's doing because they're doing a great job right now. Yeah, I think to your point, I think where I would come in is I want to see these top teams protected a little bit more. And we saw it happen with James Madison this year. If you, you know, go really strong at the beginning and say you're seven and zero, you're going to be in the top 25. You're being talked about. Whereas if you schedule a South Alabama Troy and you're going to basically take one of your teams out of the title race in week, I think it was six this year. Uh, you know, they don't get talked about as much. And so I think that has to be thinked about strategically, at least for some of the top teams in the league. Yeah. And I think that's also just a hard thing to have a pulse on. I think, again, this is a nitpick. So I think going into the every season and expecting the same teams to be good year in and year out and scheduling it that way, it's kind of going to be hard to do just because this league is so competitive. I mean, nobody expected that Troy game, I think, to be as, as important as it was when it was going into the season than at the end of the season. But another thing I would also like to see the Sunbelt do is maybe lean into these regional rivalries even more. We talked about how there's maybe not enough juice in some of these matchups that are kind of happening in other teams' backyards. I would love to see maybe a trophy given out for some of these regional rivalries. That's just something I think fans and players get excited about. Maybe a belt that goes back and forth like it does in Alabama between South Alabama and Troy. We can make that happen in Louisiana against the two teams there. We can make that happen in other teams in the league. So I think maybe getting that last weekend spot with some juicy rivalries that we can see year in and year out would also create some more excitement in the league. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, we saw James Madison and Old Dominion already, you know, drop the Royal rivalry in all sports, and that's created a lot of excitement. I know I've been following that on Twitter. Uh, Kane, let's move on to a couple of team-specific questions. We're not going to have time to get to all of these today, but, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and start with a couple of the top teams out West and some of the things that have happened this offseason. And we were asked, you know, despite some of the Power 5 schools' interest, uh, I thought it was huge for Major Applewhite to stay in Mobile. His team had a really good year offensively as the offensive coordinator uh, at South Alabama. Caden, to me, it was huge uh, for South Alabama to keep them. They did not have either of their coordinators poached. Their head coach is still intact. And we've already talked at length about the returning class for South Alabama. Caden, we are going to be asked later on, and we might get into this question. I haven't decided if I want to yet, but... To me, South Alabama has to be considered among one of the favorites heading into next year. And I know that's music to your ears since you've been riding the Jaguars hype train for about the last year. 
Yeah, and I think when we really kind of harped on and answered this question in our last episode, just talking about all the question marks we have heading into next season with some of these new coaches and new coordinators that are now inserted into the fold of the Sunbelt Conference. And we didn't bring up South Alabama one time, and that's a team that had every right to lose coordinators on either side of the ball. Offense and defense for this team were at a premium last year. They had fantastic seasons, and the fact that they have now that continuity coming back, and you talked about all those amazing players on the offensive side of the ball. You get a Carter Bradley back. You get a Damian Webb back. I think there's a lot of excitement to be had as far as South Alabama's offense because they are keeping their coordinator. They're keeping that foundation, and I think that does make them very hard to bet against as far as the team that's going to be favored coming out of the West moving forward this season. This team was the fourth best offense as far as yards per game last year, the second best passing attack only behind Georgia Southern, who we know throws the rock around the yard everywhere. And I think there's no reason if you're a South Alabama fan, if you're a Sunbelt fan, to think it's going to be any different going forward based on keeping that continuity, not only with the players, but with the coaches too. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Kane, let's move on to the team just up the road of I-65, and uh, that's the Troy Trojans. Uh, we found out earlier this week that their defensive uh, coordinator uh, had been swiped. He ends up at Tulane after uh, Marshall's defensive coordinator had been swiped to Tulane and then ended up at Miami in this grand game of musical chairs. Uh, Caden, I just wanted to get your thoughts. We saw you know, earlier today, uh, or yesterday rather, uh, the, the new hire at uh, Troy for that defensive coordinator position, uh, Greg Gasparato. Uh, he comes from Cincinnati. He was at Louisville for a couple years. And Caden, he was even your safeties coach. So I figured you were uh, uniquely qualified uh, to talk about him and his new role with the Troy Trojans and what you think about the hire. Definitely a big hire. I know Coach Gasparato is one of the many safety coaches I had because we had so much turnover at App State. But I think Coach G was a great, a great man and a great coach. I think he's a guy who loves traditions. Every time we'd win a game, we'd go out as a as a secondary group and, and eat with each other. He's very about the bond and the brotherhood. So I I'm, have no doubts that the Troy defense, if you look at them last year, we know that was a tight knit group with a lot of people that you could tell cared about each other. And I think. The hire of Coach G, as far as we like to talk about the X's and O's on here, he's going to keep that continuity. I expect their defensive culture to be very similar to what it was last year. And as far as schematically goes, he's a great defensive mind. I mean, he knows everybody's job on the defense, like most coordinators do. But I think just seeing it from a position coach level, making sure that his players knew what the other players around them were doing, I think was huge for the development of myself and a lot of other safeties that came through App State. So I have a lot of promise as far as Coach G goes being the next defensive coordinator at Troy, super happy for him getting his first defensive coordinator job. But I do think, again, these are really big shoes to fill. We know how much this Troy defense carried this team last year, only giving up 17 points per game. Having guys like Carlton Marshall and players like that gone, it's going to be some big shoes to fill. And I don't expect them to necessarily meet those expectations, but I do think with his knowledge of the game and what he brings to the table, they'll be able to come close to that next year. Yeah, Kane, that was a great point you made at the start of that answer about uh, him being one of your safeties coaches, because I feel like we've said at least five safeties coaches that at one point coached you or recruited you. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a revolving door to a lot of those coaching positions at App State, but that just speaks to the strength uh, that is that App State program. Uh, Caden, Southern Miss, uh, they were a team that went into this offseason desperately needing a quarterback. They lost a couple to the portal, and they did bring in Billy Wiles, Caden, but I don't think they brought in enough. Uh, was this Will Hall putting more trust in Zach Wilkie in your mind, or was it instead kind of a failure on his part to, to bring in a new quarterback that really could take the reins of this offense and elevate Southern Miss to another level? Now, look, I'm not coming on here taking shots at players, but I, I looked up Billy Wiles. This is a kid that walked on at Clemson and was then put on scholarship later, has only appeared very limited in his career at Clemson and, and didn't really touch the field. And I think 
you have to look at it on paper from what my eyes are telling me on paper. This is not a slam dunk guy that you're getting from the transfer portal. As far as you look at the Southern Miss quarterback room, it was an issue for the team last year. You could argue the biggest issue from this team, just how Frank Gore Jr. and that defense were asked to carry this team. And based on what they're doing in the offseason and based on what they did last year at the quarterback position, kind of feel the opposite as far as how we were talking about South Alabama before. There's not really too much hope to be put into this quarterback room going forward, which is tough to hear just because this is clearly the position of this team that has the most need into it. I'm not going to count out Billy Wiles yet, but I think at this point on paper, looking at the past and the present of this quarterback room for Southern Miss, there's not a ton to be excited about. So I know the transfer portal market is very competitive right now, especially at the quarterback position. And I think Southern Miss was just a step too late. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. Now, Let's talk about a team that hired a new head coach, Caden G.J. Kinney uh, at Texas State. They did bring in a quarterback that I'm kind of excited to watch this fall, and that's Malik Hornsby from the portal. Uh, Texas State, uh, they are starting to maybe look like a threat, Caden. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on their offseason and maybe uh, you know some expectations for next year? Are you excited? Are you optimistic uh, about this Texas State program? Look, it's very early in the offseason. There's a ton to happen between now and the season. But after our conversation with Kef and just really diving into what Texas State has done this offseason, I will say I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I think I'm pretty hopeful and optimistic about this team going forward. I think the biggest question is going to be, does that staff that was an incarnate word, does their offense and defense translate to the Sunbelt level? I think that's the biggest question mark because I think all the other boxes are checked. You have Malik Hornsby, a quarterback now, who's going to establish himself, I think, pretty early in the season that he's one of the most athletic prospects and players that we're going to see in the conference. I'm not going to say he's going to have a Todd Santeo-esque season, but I do think as far as skill set goes, we did see what a transfer that comes in and is electric with his legs and his arm can do in this conference early and fast. And I do think there's a potential to have that happen. And we talked about on the previous episode, Mac Left, which is a guy who's worked with all different styles of quarterbacks. And I do think, do we know if his offense is going to translate? No, but we do know that in his blast jobs, he was able to kind of adapt to the skill set of his quarterback and lean into that. So I do have faith that if Malik Hornsby is the day one starter of this team and Mac Leckwich is be able to squeeze and get everything out of him, he can. This Texas State team will be a lot more dangerous than it was last year. Yeah, I do not disagree with you at all there. I think it does come down to what Hornsby is this year. If Caden, if he is a top five quarterback in this league, which I don't think is unrealistic. You think of guys like Cam Fancher, you think of Carter Bradley at South Alabama, Grayson McCall's obviously back, and I'm probably forgetting a quarterback here or there, but I don't think it's out of this world to say Hornsby could be a top five quarterback in the league. And if that happens, Texas State's already better. This is a team that, you know, they handled business at home this this past year. They lost some tough games on the road. They beat an App State program. Sorry to remind you of that. But, um, you know, Caden, I think that they have a chance to maybe take a leap forward. I, I'm not sure the leap is the right word. Uh, maybe a step forward. Uh, is it too much to ask that maybe Texas State is bowl eligible this year? Would that be a good step? And I think that that would be a good step. And ultimately would make that West a little bit deeper. Uh, we saw some surprise teams this year become bowl eligible. So why couldn't it be Texas State? But I think to your point, I'm still cautiously optimistic about this team. I am excited. I've started to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, uh, but you're bringing in a staff that has no D1 FBS experience at the coordinator role or the head coaching role in terms of at those positions. And I think that's still a little bit concerning. Could it work? Absolutely. Uh, but I think that that's, you know, that's something that we'll, you know, talk a lot about, I'm sure, in the early weeks of the season. 
Kane, we're going to wrap up this episode with a couple of teams that just had really disappointing 2022 seasons. And that was Arkansas State and Old Dominion. They both finished at the bottom of the tables on in their respective divisions. Butch Jones, uh, though, did bring in a pretty solid recruiting class this offseason for Arkansas State. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, the question was asked, do we think that's going to help? Uh, or are we once again going to see them be a three-win team due to them being young again, which was the excuse that was used all year long? And then to tie all of that together, too, we were also asked about Old Dominion and what are those realistic expectations. And for me, Caden, I don't think we're going to see massive leaps forward in either of these programs. Again, is it conceivable to see four, maybe five wins? Yes, I think so. Um, I don't think particularly with old dominion, you're going to see them be a three win season or three win season again this year. There's a lot of money up in Norfolk at that program. And I think that that helps. We've talked about money helping. Um, I'm still not sold on this Arkansas state program. They have been talking about young players for the last couple of years, and it just hasn't translated. I would love to see some of these young players take the leap forward. I would love to see the West become more competitive and for Arkansas state. Uh, to get back to what they were maybe five, ten years ago. Uh, but I'm not buying it yet. But, uh, you know, things could change. But I am a little bit more optimistic about Old Dominion. I think they made a good hire at offensive coordinator. So these are two teams that I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, they're probably in the preseason polling going to be picked last again. I do think Old Dominion might have the ability to maybe surprise a team this year. Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said there. No, I think even from my playing days at Arkansas State, the issue has never been the talent. I, even when I was a, a young pup running down on special teams in kickoff, they had big dudes out there, they had fast dudes out there, and they had strong dudes out there. But it was just the discipline. It was the scheme. It was all the other little things that make teams great and a reason why if you just kind of look up every team's roster, their rating in high school, who they were, then who they are now, height, weight, whatever you want to call it, that's a, there's a reason that doesn't win football games. And I think Arkansas State's problem is not recruiting, clearly. I mean, they had the top recruiting class in the Sun Belt this year, but I still think that's not enough, especially in a sport like football where you can't really plug and play and have freshmen make a huge impact across the board when you have to fill 22 spots total to really make a difference on the team. I just think the problem at Arkansas State is, is more a cultural problem. It's more of what's happening in that building. It's more the mindset of this team watching them playing games and kind of lay over. And I think Along with that, compounding that with the fact that you can say they had a lot of young guys last year, their most important guy, quarterback, James Blackman, was the most consistent guy on their team, their oldest guy on their team, probably with all of the stops he's made in the long career he had in college. That guy's gone now. They're going to have to fill that quarterback spot. There's a lot of question marks, maybe even more question marks heading into this season because they have younger talent, have to fill some of those few spots they had where they had some leadership. So I do have a pretty high level of concern for Arkansas State, maybe even more than last year. And Switching over to Old Dominion, I think that there is more reason for hope. There's more reason for promise. Listen, this Old Dominion team only won three games last year, but look at who they beat. They beat a Coastal Carolina team that played in the conference championship. They beat a Power 5 opponent in Virginia Tech. We had a little bit more glimmers of hope as far as Old Dominion goes, especially on the defensive side of the ball where their team, led by Jason Henderson on defense, really had some great games if you look at them down the stretch holding opponents to under 20 points and doing some different stuff like that. So I think as far as Old Dominion goes, there's a little bit more reason for promise. And you mentioned it, they're higher at the offensive coordinator spot with Kevin Decker is going to be huge for them. I think that up-tempo offensive attack is the right direction to go in. And I do think with an experienced quarterback like Hayden Wolf, I think with this up-tempo offense, it's hard to really argue that he's going to have a better season than he did last year. But I think on that end of the, at the, on that end of the spectrum, I'm going to be a little bit more pop, 
optimistic. So I do think this offensive group for Old Dominion looks better next year. I think their defense kind of stays the same and is as consistent as it was. And as a result, they might be able to steal a couple more wins. But these aren't teams that I'm going to be standing on the rooftops and saying, hey, they're going to be bowl eligible teams, especially when you just look at the conference talent on each side for them. Yeah, no, those are some great points. Well, Caden, this was fun. I love doing these mailbag episodes. I feel like it's a great time to, you know, I know you and I talk a lot off the air uh, about some of these questions, so it's always fun to uh, put ourselves on the record. Well, that will do it for another fun episode on the Prairie and Smith podcast. We really appreciate all of the listeners that submitted questions for this offseason mailbag. We're going to try to work in more of your questions throughout the rest of the offseason. I really enjoy doing these. I know Caden does as well. So if you have any questions, hit us up at our new email, prairiensmith at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Thursday. We're going to preview the upcoming NFL Combine with the help of New Orleans Saints linebacker and App State alum DeMarco Jackson. Caden, that was a really fun conversation, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. Uh, we're also going to break down all the Sunbelt uh, athletes that will be participating in next week's Combine. That'll do it for us here at the Prairie and Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us and the show out. We'll continue to be here all offseason, keeping you up to date on all the latest happenings around the Sunbelt Conference. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Prairie. Thanks for tuning in today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.